Hey folks, today is July 7th, 2017. I'm Josh Boykin, founder of Intelligame.us. Welcome to another edition of Intelligame Radio. Friday, which means we're looking at the weekend. I hope you're going to have some time this weekend to maybe delve into some of your favorite games. Yesterday, we hung out for a bit for Let's Intelliplay, Intelligame's weekly live stream that goes from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Thursday nights. We finished our segment of L.A. Noir, which we've talked about a little bit here on Anchor.fm. I hope you enjoyed the stream if you were able to check it out. If not, We'll be starting a brand new game next Thursday, so I hope you'll join us. Uh, Today, I'm really excited to share some time with a friend of mine. Games are not always the primary mode of of entertainment or work for everyone that comes on to Intelligame. Intelligame's purpose is not only to highlight games and the people that make them, but also the ways that they can influence the lives of folks who are not 100% in the world of games. Uh, That said, there's also a really awesome opportunity here to learn about uh, the world around us. So I'm really excited to introduce uh, Lucy Bellwood, an adventure cartoonist who's based here in Portland, Oregon, a real close friend of mine. And I'm excited to share her her experiences with games, as well as some of the current work that she's doing. So stay tuned. Okay, so I never really anticipated that Intelligame would have a Pirates of the Caribbean introduction transition, but I'm pretty excited and glad that it does, Lucy. I'm really excited you can pull from Spotify. I've never gotten to use that as intro music on a podcast before (laughs) or on a radio show. Sorry, not a podcast. No, that's okay. This will (laughs) probably become a podcast, so it's exciting. Um, But thank you for uh, joining me on the show, Lucy. Uh, Lucy Bellwood is an adventure cartoonist. Uh, recently published The Adventures of Baggy Wrinkles? It's just called uh, Baggy Wrinkles, A Lover's Guide to Life at Sea is the full title of the book. It's a memoir about the time that I spent working on big sailing ships, like the actual ships used in Pirates of the Caribbean. One of the vessels used in the first movie is the one that I got my start on as a sailor. I didn't know that until right now. The more you know. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we were talking a little bit about Anchor, and we listened to... Uh, Ethan Red's interview that he did with uh, with Intelligame a couple weeks back, and you started when he mentioned Doom, you kind of lit up a little bit, and I thought it would be cool to talk about your experience with Doom. No, we're not talking about 2016 Doom though. For you, your your experience was with like PC Doom. Absolutely, ancient ancient Doom. Uh, I'm not a big gamer, and I'm uh, chuffed that I get to crash your recording a little bit, uh, even though I've got other stuff happening. And I figure that even though I make comics, there is some crossover here because I did play games once upon a time. My uncle gave us a steam-powered PC computer when I was about eight or nine (laughs) and uh, didn't really tell my mother the kind of game that he had put on it. He just said, oh, I put a game on there for Lucy and it was Doom. Uh, And I was a very sensitive child. I did not like scary things. Oh, no. And yet somehow I made it through Doom. I would invite friends over to sit next to me and act as like, moral support while I was playing 
I had weird nicknames for all the characters. There were the the floating fireball breathing dudes were like meatballs and I I can't remember any of the other ones, but there were like flaming flaming death meatballs was definitely the one that stuck out to me. Flaming flaming death meatballs. That's That's what they're called, right? That's the actual name of the I think that monster. was that's the industry term. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I am a video game professional. I can tell you these things about very relevant video game facts. And I, I played like other games when I was young, but that's the only video game that I ever remember having like a relationship with. Sure. And Doom 2, too, after that as well. Sure. Use a lot of cheat codes. I, I don't blame <laughs> you for that. And it's interesting thinking about the ways that graphically sort of the world has changed. I can remember playing Jurassic Park for the Super Nintendo, and it had first person like walking through corridor segments that were similar to doom and i was petrified i would have to have my dad like i would play through the things that were outside because it was this like top down kind of puzzly experience and then whenever i had to like go inside a building and it went first person i would have to have my dad play it because i was just like too terrified of being like eaten by a raptor oh. and now i go back and play that and i'm like this is kind of corny but i mean that's how i feel about vr like i wigged out when i put on the demo with the the whale underwater when you're standing in the shipwreck and tried that for the first time and that was too much for me so i can't even imagine what combat would be like or like something <laughs> jumping out at me is like no go no go uh but we were talking about this because i was like well i can't really talk about video games like what do i have to contribute to a podcast about this but i think that kind of stuff is formative and the funny thing is that games are almost responsible for me becoming a cartoonist because when i was a kid I had a lot of male friends. They were real into video games, and uh, they were selfish young <laughs> men uh, who would have Which me over to hang out and be like, "Yeah, yeah, you can definitely play this game, but let me just do this one thing first, and then like four hours later, it would be time to go home, and I wouldn't have gotten to play Zelda. Oh, I'm no. not, I'm not bitter about it. Whatever, it's fine. <laughs> uh, but the cool thing was that while I was watching these guys play the games, I had complete free reign to not give a shit about gameplay and just focus on the graphics and read the game guide where all the concept art was. Wow. And those were some really formative memories for me of like going through old Final Fantasy game guides and being like, ooh, I want to draw characters that look like this. And then I had the time to draw them because I was just waiting for this person to finish their mission slash busy trying to give them advice from the game guide saying like, don't kill those chickens. And they're like, I'm going <laughs> to kill the chickens. And then they'd get like, chased and killed by chickens in Zelda. It was like, whoops, sorry. Yeah, that's, that, I wouldn't have thought about it that way, but having not only the, the visual inspiration, but also the time to work from. Yeah, definitely. And getting to just observe rather than being caught up on gameplay at the same time was a huge boon. Cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about, I know you made a reference to Assassin's Creed. Let's talk boats. Boats in games are a bigger thing than I guess I gave them credit for. And I think that there's something exciting about the amount of detail that can be put towards sailing. And people really appreciate it. Assassin's Creed took off when they started putting in more boats and Black Flag was huge. Yeah, people got real excited when that game came out. I got real excited because traditionally there's not a lot going on with boats and games. Just like there wasn't a lot going on with boats and comics really outside of France. There are a lot of naval or like maritime history French comics about stuff, but I can't read them because they're in French, <laughs> which is unfortunate. Uh, but yeah, I had a bunch of friends who got really stoked when 
uh, Assassin's Creed 3 came out because every time there's a movie with tall ships or, you know, anything naval going on, friends will contact me and say, hey, Lucy, tell me everything that's wrong with this. Like, how did these people screw up? And I was actually pretty impressed with the Assassin's Creed uh, treatment of various sailing things, aside from the fact that you press a button to set all the sails and they just kind of drop down like window blinds, uh, which is a little unrealistic. But, you know, I'll let it slide. The shanties were great. (laughs) And I had a lovely period of time where all of my friends suddenly knew a lot of sea shanties because they were playing Black Flag and then learning all of these songs from playing the game. And then they would bring those back to me, which was fun. So where else do you feel like you've seen boats done well? I wasn't aware, actually, that there is uh, an MMO that exists called Naval Action, which, full disclosure, I did have to Google because I'd forgotten the name. But I had a couple fans send it to me and say, hey, are you aware of this? Like, would you ever want... I think somebody who's part of a guild there contacted me and asked if I would do some illustration for their flotilla of ships. Uh, I It's not... A, it's a very beautifully designed game and staggeringly realistic. I think beyond the realm of actual practical sailors, there is a huge community of model shipbuilders. And I think model shipbuilders and model makers, you know, D&D, nerd culture, video games, like the, the Venn diagram of overlap between obsessive adhesion to detail sure. and uh, craft is, is pretty strong. There, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of doubling up there. So I was excited to find out about the game because it's obviously built from the perspective of people who really care about getting the historical accuracy right. That may also explain why it's not a massive mainstream hit. (laughs) Yeah, there is something about being able to pay proper attention to something where people can, you can appreciate the quality that's put into narrative or graphic design or uh, sort of that, that accuracy. You can feel it even if you don't have a lot of experience in that background. So mm-hmm. I think it's really awesome that Naval Action was able to capture that. And I wouldn't have guessed that Assassin's Creed had some of that accuracy to it, but Ubisoft does tend to to dig in and do a lot of research before they start off on big projects. Yeah, it always feels good to, to see those kinds of details. The one I always harp on about with people in artwork is that most ships being wind-propelled require their flags to be flying the same direction that the vessel is being propelled because the wind is pushing the ship forward. But we live in a culture where motorized vehicles make us think of flags that are moving at speed flying away from the vehicle, right? Like behind the vehicle. So if a car is moving forward and it has a flag, the flag is streaming out behind it. If a ship is moving forward, it is being moved by the wind. So the flag is also streaming forward. I literally never thought about that until right now. That's right. Nobody ever thinks about it. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. No. (laughs) Um, Nobody expects Lucy Bellwood's ship and flag Inquisition. I harp on about this on Twitter all the time and it cracks me up because now people send me artwork and they're like, oh my god, Lucy, it's everywhere. Oh no. Oh no. Like, all of these ships are supposed to be going forward, but their flags are going backward and the sails are full, but the flags are flying the wrong way. Shit, what do I do? (laughs) Write a letter to your editor. Uh, get, Get mad. No, it's I mean, it's a perfectly honest mistake. It's just one of those cool ways that you can realize, oh, wow, culture has changed. And if you look at period graphics from the 18th century or before, when combustion engines were not as much of a thing, uh, those mistakes don't happen. But now, because we live in a culture where we're so used to propulsion coming from an engine, not from the wind, it's super uncommon. So anyway, one of of those things that the video game got right that was uh, pleasing to me. Oh, all right. Um, so usually we do two segments, but I want to hijack you for one more because I do want to talk about 
your new demon date, uh, your demon project. Yeah. And I think there are some ties there between uh, finding motivation and working through struggles that gamers can relate to. So. so you've been working as a freelance artist for a while. A friend of mine told me about a game called Make It as an Artist, which was one of the most depressing games I've ever played. <laughs> and you basically you play as an artist who it's like watching the sims you have a meter for happiness you have a meter for uh food you have a meter for your soul and money and you have to work to get money but then it drains your soul you have to make art to be happy and to hopefully one day make it as an artist but then making art drains money and it becomes this depressive cycle and, it, and it, it's kind of heartbreaking um that said, that's not the end point for every artist. Um, and I feel like that battle, balancing between trying to do the work that you have to do to pay the bills and to eat and that kind of thing, um, there are a number of challenges in there, and a lot of them are maybe some demons, some, some internal demons that you're struggling against. Uh, does, that, does that sound relevant to you? It absolutely does. <laughs> well, the funny thing is that the project I'm working on right now uh, is called 100 Demon Dialogues, and I've been doing it for the last three months as part of the 100 Day Project, where you do something creative every day for 100 days. I did it last year. I had a lot of fun with it. And this year, I decided to go deep into a character that I started exploring in 2012 when I was just getting out of college and getting started as a freelancer. And I've been making comics for seven years now, and I've been full-time freelance since I graduated in 2012, so that's five years. And the funny thing to me is that I am still dealing with these questions of self-doubt and anxiety and like, how do you do the work that is socially nourishing to you as well as the stuff that is fiscally nourishing? And it's funny you bring up uh, making it as an artist, which that game sounds real accurate and real depressing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just got to see the premiere of a documentary called 24-Hour Comic last night, which was made here in Portland about uh, a bunch of cartoonists completing the 24-Hour Comic Challenge. Oh, wow. So you draw 24 pages in 24 hours, and it's kind of a sprint. And uh, one of the folks profiled there is Rachel Neighbors, who's a cartoonist and also now works in web development and animation. And... She said some some real, real stuff in there about how she had to get jaw surgery and comics weren't paying the bills. And she kind of left the industry and never really looked back. She thought she was coming back and then didn't. And <clears throat> I think the myth a lot of the time is that you're either pure enough to make it, you know, like you're a, a good enough artist, like your right. art is good enough to nourish you entirely, or you're not. And that is real dangerous and harmful, I think. Uh, you need to be allowed to be scrappy and make your money in whatever ways make the most sense for your practice. And sometimes that means taking corporate jobs. Sometimes it means getting a day job. That's okay. You can have a day job and still be an artist. Anyway, the project I'm doing is every day I illustrate a conversation with this little demon character who represents all the parts of me that are anxious or insecure or overworked or workaholic or whatever. And the demon says things like, you're no good and your, uh, your self-worth is based on your creative output. And right. if you can't finish this in one shot, you shouldn't even start. And in every panel, I try and find a way to sass the demon or talk back to him or say, like, actually, this isn't as bad as you think, or to just treat him with compassion because that voice inside all of us, I think, is really just a small, scared, angry creature that wants to be comforted and wants to feel safe. And recently I've started to see that 
those kinds of projects that connect to people on a visceral level. Like this is real personal for me. And I was scared to share that stuff online because, you know, what if I'm the only one? Mm -hmm. But the response to this project has been ridiculous. And it makes me realize that every time I see projects in other media like video games that deal with social issues in that way or even deeply personal narratives in that way, those are the ones that ring the most true for me as a, as a sure. narrative person, right? I'm less interested in first-person shooters and more interested in uh, actual stories of people's lives. Yeah, and I think there are a lot of places where, I mean, I know I can relate to a number of those things with Intelligame, but even particularly indie developers, I can mm. hear a lot of resonance there. So. Yeah. Uh, Lucy, thank you so much for, for talking with us today. Where can folks find your work? You can find me on Twitter as at Lou Bell Wu, L-U-B-E-L-L-W-O-O. It's the same username on Instagram. And my website is LucyBellwood.com. That's two L's, two O's in Bellwood. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot, Lucy. And uh, we'll definitely keep up on your work moving forward. Thanks for having me.